Hi, I'm Bob Ekblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. Late last night, Gracie and I returned from two weeks away. We were in France and then primarily in Casablanca, Morocco. This was our fourth time going to Morocco. We went uh, four years ago, three different times to offer our certificate in transformational ministry at the margins to about 40 sub-Saharan African migrants that were part of a group called the Forum. And this was all organized by the Institut Ecumenique al Mawafaka. And that's a training program that offers um, undergraduate degrees to Catholic or Protestant students who are primarily, you know, people of faith, Christians who are from the sub-Saharan African countries who find their way to Morocco. And it's an excellent program. And uh, But our program was to the Forum, which is a group of uh, people that couldn't qualify to get into the undergraduate program, but who were active, like house church leaders. And um, anyway, the the one we did was in Rabat, which is the capital, and where they were a lot more organized, and that's where the seminary is. But we were asked to come back and to do one in an area that was um, that had many, many migrants and many house churches. And uh, so we went to Casablanca, you know, to start this another this you know this second training. In French, it's called homage uh, to the margins, and um, we did you know, many different um, sessions, as many as we could fit in to the, to the time that we had last week. And uh, the last one we did was actually uh, one that is on uh, Philip's mission in Samaria. And, um, and it's Acts chapter 8, verses 4 to 13, and then 25 to 40. And I'd like to look at that together with you now. And it was really exciting uh, discussing this with these, uh, you know, these pastors in Casablanca. And um, I think I'm going to be able to weave in some of their reflections into what I'm going to present. But this study is actually published now, as of yesterday, in my latest and final version of, uh, or volume of Guerrilla Bible Studies. And that one's called Following Jesus on Earth as it is in Heaven. And anyway, that's available on Amazon. And this is the 11, 12th of 13 studies that are all missional Bible studies. So just a little bit of background on Acts chapter 8. So we know that after Pentecost, the early church is described as this vibrant community of people who ate, worshipped, received teachings, and cared for people in need together. And we see that in Acts chapter 2 and, and also chapter 5 verse 42. So, but then there are some complaints from Greek-speaking Jewish widows about discrimination at their equivalent of a food bank. And the apostles then respond by setting a criteria for choosing deacons who can manage, you know, the distribution of food so that the Hebrew uh, widows aren't, you know, shown preference. So, interestingly, seven Greek men are chosen by the community to wait on Greek-speaking women. And uh, we know they're Greek men because all of their names, Stephen, Philip, and then the others that are mentioned in Acts chapter 6, are all, you know, Greek names. And um, I was asking the African uh, participants last week, you know, whether that would be a common thing for African men to be chosen as deacons to wait on African women. And they were like, oh, you know, no, not really. I mean, in a 
in most of Africa, that would be fairly uncommon, I think. But I think in a lot of places, it would be uncommon around the world. And um, especially, you know, all of these people were chosen um, specifically. They were all men to wait on, you know, uh, all women. And um, interestingly, though, they choose chose Greek-speaking men, and that would have been necessary in order to really make sure that the Greek-speaking um, widows, you know, who were who were being cared for, you know, were receiving attention that they needed. And there was a lot of criteria that were the criterion that the apostles set about, you know, the kind of people that that you know that the community needed to choose. I'm just going to read right. Um, a little bit of this in Acts chapter six, and this these criteria I think um, you know were given to the community, so the community themselves had to make the choice. And I think it's uh, there's a lot of beauty in in the way this is all described. So um, Acts chapter six, um, it says, therefore the uh, brothers and sisters select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. Um, And these they brought to the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them, And then it says the word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So right after that, it describes Stephen, who has been, um, hands have been laid on him to wait on these widows. But, you know, interestingly, he's described as full of grace and power in verse eight. And, um, and it says that uh, he was performing great wonders and signs among the people. And then that led to some persecution against him. Um, people rose up against him and argued with him, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And so, um, interestingly, um, you know, this seems like something that's just coming out of nowhere, really, because, you know, these uh, Greek-speaking men were were called to be deacons, not preachers and they weren't um of course they were supposed to be full of the holy spirit but it's surprising that right away uh their stephen this first of these seven deacons is described as you know as engaging in the full-on ministry of the of jesus and uh, and the apostles and um and then anyway what happens is stephen ends up preaching one of the longest sermons in the new testament and that leads to him you know, actually being martyred, he's stoned to death. And we see that in Acts chapter 7. And uh, so the first deacon is been, has been taken out now. And so deacon number two, Philip, we're going to see what happens to him. But before we look at that, um, I just wanted to point out that after Stephen is martyred, a great persecution starts against the followers of Jesus in the church of Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, um, Saul's campaign to arrest and imprison um, the followers of Jesus is described. And then Philip, the second deacon, is named um, and then featured. So 
Philip is among those who are scattered by the persecution, who then go about preaching the word. And he went to a city of Samaria and he began preaching just as Jesus had and continued to be guided by the Spirit. And I'm just going to read that, um, Acts chapter 8, verses 4 to 5. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. So what happens due to the persecution against Jesus' followers? You know, well, people are scattered everywhere, right? And they go about preaching the word. So they're scattered, but they're not muted. Um, And where does Philip go and what does he do exactly? Well, interestingly, Philip went down to a Samaritan city and proclaims Christ to them. And I asked the question, you know, why did Philip go to the city, um, a city of Samaria? You know, I mean, everyone is scattered and they go about preaching the word, but why would Philip choose a Samaritan city? Um, it, it says nothing here in Acts chapter 8 about anyone being sent. Like Philip isn't sent by the apostles. He, um, we don't see any description of why he chose Samaria. Um, looks like he just went on his own accord. And I think that shows the freedom that these early missionaries felt to carry out Jesus's ministry. Philip may well have chosen to go to one of the cities of Samaria based on Jesus's example of ministering to the excluded Samaritans, like we see it in Luke 17, 11 and John 4. And um, maybe especially due to Jesus's words to the 11 in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, some of his last words before he ascends to heaven. Um, quote, And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So um, the apostles had already been ministering in Jerusalem, right? And in Judea, which now um, they were blocked from doing due to the persecution. So Samaria would have been next on the list of Jesus's priorities. And so um, could that be why Philip chose Samaria? Well, we don't know for sure. I mean, there's two reasons then that Jesus went there and that Jesus uh, put Samaria on the list after Jerusalem and Judea. Um, A third reason might have been that Jewish persecutors, especially like super um, religious Jews, would have uh, likely not entered Samaria to avoid becoming unclean. You know, being with the secluded or excluded Samaritans would have caused them to become unclean, just going into that territory. Nor would they see it as having any importance. So this would make it an ideal refuge for fleeing Christians, right? Um, But anyway, since the apostles had laid hands on Philip at the beginning of his ministry, the Spirit is upon him wherever he goes. And that's true for us as well. You know, when we receive the Holy Spirit, um, we have the anointing, which um, goes with us everywhere. And so Philip is, you know, going in the power of the Spirit, even though that's not directly mentioned. So what would be the equivalent place like of Samaria or Samaritans in your community? I asked the men, the men and women who were part of our group um, there in Casablanca, you know, where that would be. And they were saying, well, it would be you know, migrants that live in the woods who, um, you know, who don't, um, who are totally on the margins, who are, who are new, who've just come in from places like Guinea and people that come from Guinea, they, um, that most of them don't speak French and they don't speak, um, the language of Morocco. And so 
they're especially marginalized and they and they don't plug in naturally to Christian communities. And um, but there's other new arrivals that you know that that haven't found their way into any kind of community in there and they're found in certain parks where they're welcomed or you know where 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 they just go or even sleeping on the streets and begging and uh but where would be places like that in your community where would be the the places that no one would go because somehow it would make them you know unclean in some way um you know in our area it might be the trap houses you know where drugs are actively used or um, for some, it might be the jail, and for others, it might be, you know, say a gay bar, or um, I don't know. I think um, each of our contexts are going to um, have their equivalents, and that's something we should pray about. Um, so let's read verses six to eight and see what happens in response to Philip. The crowds, with one accord, were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. So just like Stephen, who had, who's described as having grace and power, and you know many um, people were being healed in signs and wonders, here, Philip, this deacon, you know, anointed to be able to care for the widows of the food bank, um, he's performing all these signs. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. Um, in contrast to, you know, just one man who was lame from birth, who was healed by Peter and John at the beautiful gate, right? In Acts chapter 3. Um, here we have many um, who have been paralyzed um, and lame are, are healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. So how did the people of Samaria respond to Philip and what happens? Well, I mean, we just saw that uh, really the, the, you know, deliverance from from evil spirits and, you know, very uh, significant healings are happening pretty much like during the earthly ministry of Jesus. You know, it's, it's really some of the very same sort of manifestations. Um, one of the things we see right after this is um, this description of, uh, you know, the, the story of Simon, who's a man who practiced magic arts and had a big following. And when he saw Philip preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, and um, he heard it being done all in the name of Jesus and how um, he saw people being baptized and, you know, and then Philip performing miracles. He too believes and is amazed. That's in Acts 8, 9 to 13, but I'm not going to focus on that. Um, but what we see then is, uh, you know, right after that, the apostles, Peter and John, they, they come up to lay hands on the new Samaritan believers who received the Holy Spirit. And uh, and then um, Simon, he tries to give the apostles money for the power to lay hands on people, just like they do. But Peter confronts him and and he ends up repenting. And, the, and then they head back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to other Samaritan villages. And this sets the stage for God's next assignment for Philip. So I'm skipping over a bunch of, uh, a bunch of the story here to just get right to Philip's next uh, mission, which is in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So what happens here? Well, I find it super interesting that it's an angel of the Lord who speaks to Philip. 
And, um, you know, so often angels of the Lord in Luke Acts appear. They don't just speak. I mean, they, the angel appears to, um, you know, to Mary, the angel, um, to tell her about how she's going to give birth to the Messiah. You know, the angel, angels appear to the um, shepherds, you know, who are watching over their flocks by night, right, and announce the birth of Jesus and, you know, and send the, um, really these shepherds off to, you know, to find the baby Jesus and everything, right? So we have angels appearing, but here it's the angel of the Lord who speaks. And the term here that's used is, is a really common Greek word, just laleo. So it's, it's, it's no appearance, but just speaking. Um, and it's probably the most humble term for speaking. It's like the equivalent of say, the word say. And um, so anyway, the angel of the Lord gives Philip just two commands and a destination. Get up and go. And then um, he says, south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. So this would have been perhaps a dangerous location because the road that descends from Jerusalem would have meant that Philip would have needed to head back to Jerusalem. Which, all the, which is where all the persecution had started. But he was to go on the outskirts of Jerusalem to this road that heads to Gaza, which is sort of like southwest from Jerusalem, and it's described as being a desert road. And um, what I find amazing is that there's no mention of what he's supposed to do when he goes there. Um, you know, it's uh, so it's really minimal information that, that he's given. And this, I think, is, um, you know, is really important for us as we think about, like, what is mission, you know, what does it look like to hear the voice of God for a particular, for a particular uh, missional engagement that we're called into. You know, people often are waiting for maybe more information and more direction than, um, you know, than what God might give. God might just give us just, uh, just enough to kind of get us on the road. Um, remember, like when Philip went to Samaria, there was no direction given at all, except Jesus's earlier words to the 12 or the 11, but Philip wouldn't have been present for that. And so um, he would have perhaps heard that, you know, kind of secondhand, thirdhand from the teaching of the apostles, but we don't even know that he had heard that. And, um, and so here we're given um, another clue to how God speaks and and it's just two commands and a destination with no no more details. So what would be the equivalent of uh, a desert road, a deserted road leading from maybe a, a bigger city to um, a remote place? Um, you know, and how would you respond if you sensed that you were being told by an angel that hadn't appeared to you, but that was just speaking? I don't know how you'd know that it was an angel to go to a remote place without any further instructions. You know, I... I remember um, receiving a dream, uh, having a dream years back that was a dream that was just uh, this black, um, like an African man came to me and said, come to Gabon. And, um, and that's all that, that's all that, that's all that happened. And I still haven't responded to that. And I feel kind of bad about that. It was, uh, it might've been the equivalent of this. And, um, and so maybe I still need to go or maybe the timing was was right back then and there. Um, but anyway, there have been times when I have felt led to go to different places. And, um, and 
often when we do prayer, you know, outreach in um, on our Friday nights, we pray that God would direct us to where we're to go. And, you know, we some of us, we get senses of, of different places that we're to go and we find people who are in, who are particularly vulnerable in those places. Um, but how would you respond if you sense that you're being told by an angel to go to a place without give, being given any further instructions? Well, let's see how Philip responds. Um, we already know that Philip is a pretty um, open person. I mean, he's humble because he was willing to be um, chosen and to do that task of, as a male, uh, serving females, you know, serving women, widows. And so there's something about him that is that's humble in order for him to do that. Um, and he was chosen and viewed as a person who was, um, you know, who's a spiritual person. So let's read verses 27 28. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sat, sitting in his chariot and was reading from the prophet Isaiah. So what did Philip do and what did he find? Well, he got up and went. Just exactly what? he was told to do. He was completely obedient. And, and he went there. And, um, and then the, the story tells us about how there at his destination, there was this Ethiopian eunuch who uh, was is described as being a treasurer of the queen who's sitting in his chariot reading the prophet Isaiah. So, wow. Um, you know, that could explain why he'd be sent there is someone who is an outsider who is from a different nation. Um, clearly, he would have been um, sort of next on the list of priorities in terms of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, because um, believers are supposed to go from um, to Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, right? So this is actually, um, so it's an African, he's Ethiopian, and, um, and there he is. And um, we do... We don't know from this description whether he was Jewish. We do know that he was returning to his country after having come to Jerusalem to worship and that he, and that he was reading one of the um, prophetic books of the Jewish scriptures, Isaiah. So, you know, maybe he was he was considering becoming a Jew. And um, but anyway, um, let's just look at what it would have meant to be a eunuch. Now, a eunuch is a castrated male person or a human male who, without being castrated, is by nature incapable of sexual intercourse, so an impotent male. And um, so eunuchs were considered unclean and they were shunned in the first century. And I'm going to read a few quotes. Um, this is from Josephus. Shun eunuchs and flee all dealings with those who have deprived themselves of their virility and of those fruits of generation, which God has given to men for the increase of our race, expel them as infanticides, who withal have destroyed the means of procreation. So here's Philo of Alexandria. Eunuchs are, are men who belie their sex and are affected with effemination, who debase the currency of nature and violate it by assuming the passions and the outward form of licentious women. Okay, so it's like, is this a trans person? 
the equivalent of a trans person here? Kind of sounds like it from Philo's description, doesn't it? Or someone who has, you know, who is a who is a male who is choosing to, you know, to, to convert to being a female. Um, here is uh, Lucian of Samosata. This is 125, uh, you know, of, of common era. A eunuch was neither man nor woman, but something composite, hybrid, and monstrous, alien to human nature. So, um, so we know that Jesus wasn't so negative towards eunuchs. He he talked about how eunuchs, um, you know, some were eunuchs by um, by their own choice. Some were made eunuchs, and um, and then others were, um, you know. Um, were, were you know were I guess those are the main things they were they, there were those that chose to be eunuchs and then those that were made eunuchs and people that were um, you know that were prisoners of war sometimes uh, as a as a punishment they they would be castrated or their testicles would be crushed and um, at any rate these were people who were totally on the margins excluded so here we have an African you know this Ethiopian male who is um, a court official for a, you know, a pagan foreign country who is maybe the equivalent of a trans person in our, in our context. So, um, so let's read the next verse. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So, um, the spirit now is, is speaking to Philip and a, instead of it being the angel of the Lord, it's, it's the spirit of God. And, um, and you wonder why that is with with the angel of the Lord. Uh, I would I, I would assume the angel of the Lord. I know the angel of the Lord is like the equivalent of the Lord, but um, angel is the word messenger. But here it's the spirit. So it's it's like God. God says to Philip, "Go up and join this chariot." So it's like there's even perhaps more authority, and that the spirit is telling him. And it's the word um, "lego" here uh, to to say, which is. Uh, you know, which is a different Greek verb than um, than the previous one, laleo. And so anyway, two more word orders, go up and join this chariot, this chariot in particular. And um, here Philip is given just two more commands, and that's, 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 all, that's all he gets for this whole mission. It's just, you know, four imperatives. Uh, get up and go, and then go up and join. And... Um, and so, um, you know, what does this tell us about how God views the Ethiopian eunuch? Well, clearly we can see that the Spirit cares about the eunuch, and God does not discriminate against the eunuch, but recruits Philip to pursue him. And um, since Philip had already proven himself to be open to serving women, and then now, it, after that, excluded Samaritans, it's like, is God just like tapping him again um, and saying, okay, hey, I need you for this other mission. And uh, knowing that Philip is particularly open. Um, we talked about this at length with, um, you know, the course participants there in Casablanca. And people were really touched by this. And, you know, the fact that there's not discrimination. We see that God doesn't discriminate. And um, and also that, that when we are faithful in going out in, on a mission that maybe would have challenged us in some way directly, like like Philip going to the Samaritans, you know, the more that we open ourselves to, um, you know, to the 
equivalent of, of sort of what Philip was was doing, like going and serving women and then with Samaritans and now a eunuch, you know, God is going to um, consider us to be available. You know, we're making ourselves available. And, um, and so God is a God who is seeking out um, people and it, he seeks out to save those that are lost. And God is a, a shepherd. He's a good shepherd. And he's looking for people that you can deputize, you know, to go and, and, and to find others. And we talked with, um, you know, these sub-Saharan African migrants about how this is really how the gospel came to Africa. You know, the gospel didn't come to Africa as a result of colonization originally, you know, and, and you know, many, um, there's a lot of uh, critique against um, Africans by other Africans who say, hey, if you want the authentic African religion, you know, well, maybe you need to go back to your tribal, you know, practices. But others say, well, Islam, that's, that's, that's the true African religion, you know, but, but here we see, um, and they, and Christianity is seen as just the religion of the colonizers. And so, so people are made to feel, you know, really bad about being Christians because that's, you know, that's just coming under the religion of the French or the Portuguese or the, you know, or the British, you know, whoever colonized them. And um, so to see that really um, Ethiopia was, um, you know, was this Ethiopian was, was the first to, you know, to be evangelized is, is powerful for these people. And, uh, and it's an important point. So um, anyway, one of the, one of the, I mentioned earlier about Jesus expressing his acceptance of eunuchs that's in Matthew 19 verse 12 and he does it regardless of their reasons for um, their condition and I'm just going to read this because I I didn't quite cite the whole thing like I should have earlier for there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb and there were eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men and there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven the one who's able to accept this let him or her accept it. Okay, so that shows Jesus's attitude of acceptance that, and maybe Philip was aware of that teaching. So let's see how Philip responds then to this, these second two imperatives. Acts chapter 8, verse 30. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? So what did Philip do exactly? You know, and how did it differ from what the Spirit said? Well, the Spirit just said, go up and join. And, um, you know, our, our friends there in Casablanca noticed that w that in the text insisting that Philip ran up, it shows that Philip was actually eager to engage in, in the activities that the Spirit was prompting him to engage in. He, 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 rep he really represents someone who's very eager to, um, you know, to go even beyond obedience. And... Uh, so he does three different things. He ran up, he heard him reading Isaiah, and he asks him a question. Do you understand what you're reading? And so he did, you know, he did far more than just go up and join. He ran up, heard him, and asked him. Um, and he asked him a strange question. Do you understand, you know, what you are reading? You know, that seems like that could be somewhat rude, doesn't it, to ask someone, do you understand what you're reading? And... Um, you know, and yet it could have been that Philip, you know, being someone who 
was perhaps trained and schooled in, you know, in reading um, the, the Hebrew scriptures uh, or even the Greek version of the Hebrew scriptures, because actually the text that's cited is the Greek version, the Septuagint version of Isaiah. And, um, you know, he might have thought, okay, this outsider, this foreigner, maybe, um, maybe they need some help, you know, like, like I'm a Jew, I'm a, um, you know, or a, I've been, I've been converted to Judaism and I, he would likely think of himself as maybe knowing more and being able to help in case the eunuch needed help. Um, so, um, let's see. So what do Philip's words and actions tell us about the kind of person Philip is? Well, once again, we see that he acts in obedience to the spirit, but he also takes his own initiative. And I think that is a key idea. And, and it's something that I think is critical for us today. Like so many people are passive. You know, we, we wait around for, you know, for just, uh, more information or just more precision or, you know, or the funding or whatever it is. And, um, you know, um, but here we see that, that Philip is a person who, who takes initiative and he asks a question that he was not told to ask that shows that he actually cares about this Ethiopian eunuch, um, that, that he's understanding what, you know, what he's reading in the Bible. So let's see how the eunuch responds, Acts 8.31. And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? So we see this incredible humility of this eunuch um, who is the head of the treasury of, of Ethiopia. So that's, you know, he's, he's got a very high-level position. And uh, yet uh, here he is. He invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. So Philip's, um, you know, his proactive you know, kind of embracing of this, of this mission and his humility, um, lead, um, you know, lead to this kind of breakthrough of him being really invited to actually sit, you know, beside him, sit with him. And, um, interestingly, the Greek term for guiding is, um, hogedeo, which, um, actually reminds the reader, uh, of the Holy Spirit's action of guiding to all truth in John 16, 13. It's the same verb exactly, or the same language. Um, so let's see, you know, what happens next. Acts chapter 8, verse 32 to 33. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. So um, here we have Isaiah fifty-three seven to eight that is being that is being um, you know cited by the eunuch, and um, you know this is directly from the Greek version, um, the Septuagint, and the Septuagint version of Isaiah. Um, in chapter 53, 8, emphasizes that through the servant's humiliation, judgment is taken away. And then asks the question, who will tell his generation um, since his life is removed from the earth? And this makes the text um, even more relatable than the Hebrew text would have been um, to the eunuch. Um, in contrast to, say, the English translation of the Hebrew text, it in verse 8, it says, By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, 
who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? So see that difference. Um, who considered that he was cut off? You know, like his, who from his generation considered that he's cut off from the land of the living? In contrast to the Septuagint, who will tell his generation since his life is removed from the earth? So there, um, you know, the eunuch, um, he's, his question in verse 34, the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? You know, and why is the, that a question that would have, um, you know, where would have come to the eunuch? You know, I, with our migrant, um, African migrant participants, they were, they were really able to see that pretty quickly and to imagine that, um, that this man would have seen himself, would have identified just being a eunuch. And <clears throat> we talked about how, you know, how in that setting, if he was chosen to be the treasurer, then being castrated may have been something that was forced on him. And so he would have felt like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer would have to be silent, he didn't open his mouth. And, and so also he wouldn't have had a generation, right? So he would have related to this and maybe he was thinking, wow, this prophetic text seems like it's talking about me, but is it talking about the writer of, of, of Isaiah or is it talking about somebody else like, like himself? And, um, so, um, I think it's, um, it's really interesting that um, that this this man, you know, kind of focuses on this particular text, which would have, you know, which really emphasizes the suffering of of the servant of the Lord, and and it and it really it really ties this um, servant of the Lord figure who was identified, you know, in the New Testament writings as 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 Jesus with some of the same language with the eunuch. So the eunuch is seeing it a tie between himself and 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 Jesus who he doesn't yet know about. And so let's see how he comes to know about Jesus. So in Acts 8 verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture he preached Jesus to him. I would have loved to have heard that sermon and we don't have it here. Um, but Philip proclaims Jesus and um, and he does it in a way that the scripture points out is is prophetically inspired because the term open his mouth associates Philip um, with prophetic utterance. So we have that same term used in Isaiah 81.10, Jeremiah 1.9, Ezekiel 3.1, Matthew 5.1. So Philip um, literally is like speaking as a prophet and is announcing Jesus uh, to him. And that Greek verb euangelizo um, is used here um, meaning to announce good news, to evangelize, um, is used all over in, in Luke's gospel. And it can mean to declare, to show, you know, to show good tidings, to preach the gospel. Yet the content of the good news is Jesus himself. And, um, and in Acts, in Isaiah 53, 7 to 8, you know, really this text is all about the servant of the Lord's posture of complete surrender you know, which Philip has been modeling. And, um, but the eunuch had possibly also, um, you know, had to undergo, you know, complete surrender, maybe by force. 
So anyway, Acts 8.36. So as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? So um, so whatever Philip said, uh, you know, the, the good news sort of broke into this Ethiopian eunuch, into his heart, and he saw the natural uh, next step was as being baptism. And um, so he instigates the baptism, doesn't he? And how does the Ethiopian, um, you know, um, it, how does that happen exactly? Well, it says the chariot like came to some water. And, um, and so it's the eunuch who draws attention to the water, doesn't he? And, um, and so he, in a way, is, is, is kind of in that prophetic flow himself. And, um, and he's ahead of Philip in, in a way, isn't he? Because Philip doesn't bring that up, even though, you know, um, we know from the end of Matthew that the disciples were supposed to, you know, go and, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, you know, making disciples, the beginning part of that was, was actually baptizing. And um, so let's let's look at, um, at what happens next then. You know, is Philip going to say, well, hey, I've got to go back to, and make contact with uh, Peter and John, and um, we're going to have to set up baptismal classes. You know, does he, does he feel um, like he's under some kind of a system that would have obligated him to comply with, you know, with, you know, sort of an early church discipline, disciplinary system or baptismal system. And here uh, in verse 37, the first part of it, we see that apparently there was nothing other than just this very minimal requirement. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. So, um, you know, so the Philip responds by, to the eunuch's request, saying, you know, you may be baptized, um, but only if you believe with all your heart. And yet Philip doesn't clarify what things the eunuch needs to believe in in order to be baptized, does he? There's no, um, seems like if if this was super essential, like um, this would have been the place in Acts to, you know, to kind of clarify exactly what what he needs to believe. And rather what we see is Philip seems to make it quite easy for the eunuch, um, though he does emphasize the importance of wholehearted belief, like like with your whole heart, that seems to be, you know, what, what is really essential. So it's not just about, you know, content, but it's about complete, um, you know, full-on, uh, I guess, surrender. And so uh, let's look at uh, 37, second half of verse 37 through 38. And he, that is the eunuch, answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Wow. Okay, that that wasn't even part of what, you know, what, you know, was the content, at least that we know of, of what Philip had proclaimed. Um, and yet, um, this guy affirms something very core, which is described as only being possible through the Holy Spirit. You're going to see that a little bit later here. So, um, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So, I believe, and then that, and then Jesus with that um, title Christ, which would be the equivalent of Messiah, is the Son of God. So, you know, God Himself. So, um, so Philip, 
or he ordered the chariot to stop, um, the eunuch, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he and he baptized him. So, um, so it's difficult, I guess, to know whether it was Philip or the eunuch who ordered the chariot to stop. That's not clear. But Philip and the eunuch both went into the water together, and Philip baptized him. So um, I think, um, you know, we see in Matthew chapter 16, 15 to 7, 17, when Jesus asks his disciples who people say that he is, Peter responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So, um, so this, this supports that idea that, you know, it was really divine revelation. The father's revealing to this eunuch, um, father in heaven is revealing to the eunuch, the identity of his son, Jesus. So, um, Let's see what happens next. Acts 8, 39 to 40. When they came up and out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So this text just really delighted um, our African migrant friends and us as well. It's just so amazingly beautiful because, uh, you know, just the Lord, Spirit of the Lord snatching Philip away. And, um, you know, that, that, that in and of itself, um, you know, and then him finding himself, you know, in, you know, long, long ways away from their way to the north near the Lebanese border in Azotus. I mean, you know, that just brings up all kinds of questions, right? Of just, uh, you know, like, like travel, um, you know, being transported and everything. But I think what really surprised people was just the, you know, I guess the the freedom and the the lightness of this. It it's not like Philip just immediately inducted him into some big discipleship training program, you know, uh, some certificate in transformational ministry at the margins or anything. It's like here, this brand new uh, convert, who this Ethiopian you know, high-level person, uh, this eunuch, you know, has just become a believer. And, um, and the Spirit of the Lord snatches Philip away, and, um, and, and the eunuch uh, no longer sees him, but goes on his way rejoicing. And so, you know, he, that's considered enough, I suppose, right? And, um, and then Philip um, finds himself, you know, like way, way, way away, way to the north. And what does he do? Well, the Spirit doesn't tell him what to do, but as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So, um, you know, he he continued that kind of mandate of, um, you know, that Jesus had, had commissioned disciples to engage in, you know, of proclaiming the gospel um, all, you know, all the way until he came, you know, from Azotus to Azotus to, uh, to Caesarea. Caesarea was a Roman, um, you know, sort of port city and uh, garrison. And so, you know, we see Philip is uh, also now then positioned, you know, um, to right there in the midst of these Romans. And uh, and we're going to see in, in one of the next stories about, um, you know, Peter and Cornelius 
um, you know, how that all developed. But, um, you know, Philip finding himself in Azotus um, is kind of even going beyond, you know, being sent to a, a place like, uh, you know, like the road leading from Jerusalem to Gaza. This time he just finds himself somewhere where God has placed him. And so we see a progression, don't we, where, um, you know, Philip's surrender leads to him being, um, you know, just sort of in God's, in God's, uh, you know, kind of a grip, I guess. And I think this really inspired people. And, you know, a lot of the, the house church leaders, they, they were people, they're people who, you know, do a lot of, a, a lot of praying to, and discerning about how they're going to start, you know, uh, the church. And, you know, I've been with some of these um, leaders walking around neighborhoods of, that are almost like ghettos where, where immigrants, um, you know, immigrant families live you know, in really poor marginalized places around some of these cities like Rabat and, and Casablanca. And, you know, and they're, they're really trying to discern uh, and hear. And, uh, and yet they're making choices just like Philip. Um, um, so we see that um, being guided by the spirit is um, in this, in this example is about responding to people's actual questions and, um, here we see that Philip gives the eunuch agency and respect. Um, the Ethiopian eunuch takes initiative, which provokes Philip's response in the spirit. And, um, and so that's important to pay attention to. And then Philip does give some content, right, of what's required. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And, and then Philip, the eunuch, gives some precision to what he believes in. Um, so what does it mean to be led by the Spirit if we just kind of summarize what we've seen here? Well, one thing would be, um, you know, to engage in the teachings of Jesus in, through the practice of, of seeking to do what Jesus did. Okay, in a way we see that, um, you know, almost like a what would Jesus do sort of attitude when Philip goes to Samaria in the first place. Of course, prior to that, um, he's had the spirit upon him through the laying on of hands of the apostles who, you know, and, you know, in the post-Pentecost um, kind of renewal movement. And then, um, so then after that, um, it involves responding to God. Like um, Philip is told, get up and go. And it, it seems like maybe he would have been laying there even in his bed or sleeping when this angel speaks to him. So responding to God and then paying attention to circumstances could be a second point, right? Because he goes to that um, road leading from Jerusalem to Gaza and, and he sees this um, Ethiopian eunuch who's in his chariot reading from the prophet Isaiah. And then um, thirdly, listening to the spirit. The spirit says, um, go up and join. And then, um, of course, he runs up and um, joins the chariot, and and then fourthly, listening to people. You know, he listens to him reading uh, from the prophet Isaiah, and then he asks them a question. Um, that would be the fifth one, asking um, question. Do you understand what you're reading? And then um, he answers their questions uh, in the spirit. You know, the question of the Ethiopian eunuchs. This is the sixth point answering their question like, uh, is this talking about himself or someone else? 
So he, he, he opens his mouth, this prophetic response to interpret the text. And then seventh, responding to their desire. You know, he, um, he gets up and sits beside the eunuch and then he, you know, agrees to baptize him. Um, and we could say an, an eighth point, which would be, you know, re like uh, inviting the person to, you know, to affirm their belief, their wholehearted belief. And then, uh, you know, ninth, getting into the water with them. And, uh, and then inviting um, also the person to confess or baptizing him. And um, anyway, I just love this. And that, um, and that leads to, you know, him actually just being taken right out of the water and brought to a whole nother missional site. So um, anyway, um, this was our final text that we studied um, last Saturday afternoon, you know, before Gracie and I you know, took a train to Rabat, and then the next day met with, uh, in a house church, with a bunch of Congolese uh, believers, and um, worshipped and worshipped, and and then I preached, and uh, and we prayed for lots of people, and uh, and these people are people that really need input, and, and we need input, you know, we need to really read these stories carefully, and, and not just to have a bunch of information about about what happened then and there, but, you know, like really asking the question like, okay, what, you know, what does this look like for me to be fully surrendered and to be attentive to, you know, to the voice of the spirit and, and the call of, of, you know, who I'm to, to engage with and where and when, and, um, you know, running up and joining this, um, chariot, Maybe it was necessary because maybe the chariot was on its way, and 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 Philip's timing, you know, might have been slightly off even, and because if he got there when the chariot was beginning to move, then uh, it might have almost been too late. So many times we we really need to you know be completely on point when it comes to paying attention to what God tells us to do. So let's let's just um, I just want to invite you to consider surrendering yourself more fully to the Holy Spirit and giving permission um, to recruit you to engage more fully in Jesus's ministry. So let's pray. So thank you, God our Father, for your amazing love for the world and for excluded people, you know, for um, people that the world wouldn't consider important and or, or who the world would completely reject. And I just thank you for Philip, this example of someone who's so surrendered that they're willing to, you know, to be uh, completely non-discriminating and uh, to just go where you're calling um, them to go and help us to be like that. I ask that you would, you would awaken our ears to hear as a disciple and that we would be um, non-discriminatory. We would go wherever you call us to go and, and engage with whoever you engage, call us to engage with and help us to have this kind of humble, respectful attitude that we see in the story. And we just pray for opportunities. And, and um, I, I give you full permission to recruit me and to send me wherever you would have me go. And uh, we just pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>